In the summer of 2019, CAMP partnered with Purdue University doctoral students for additional mental health and well-being guidance and care for our summer staff. We have had four successful summers of collaboration as we focus even more on mental well-being through our new strategic plan and vision, Joel Siplinga and Dr. Amanda Case got together at Brokeridge in West Lafayette to catch up. You can also read an abbreviated version of this on our blog on our website. Here's the interview. Our um, you know, board just approved the strategic plan and kind of the, you know, one, the new vision, world where people thrive and grow in harmony with others in the outdoors. Oh, nice. And then Camp Comes to YMCA will strive to grow individuals and communities with improved physical, mental, and spiritual well-being, decreased divisiveness, and appreciation for the environment. We'll do that through de developing more intentional programs, reducing the barriers that prevent more individuals from attending, and collaborating with other community leaders. To support these efforts, we must hire and develop exceptional staff and have premier facilities. I love that. So, and then we kind of break it down on on this side as well. And, um, you know, so I think, you know, one of the things is we kind of looked at it, it's okay, what are the three most, you know, pressing social issues in talking with different people about, about yeah. different things. And like the three things that came up, like every conversation we had was with people was about mental well-being and uh, mental right. health for, for kids and adults and, yep. and everybody. And then the, the divisiveness of our, our community and how like it's just pervasive. And as I told the group uh, not too long ago, it was like 2024 doesn't look to be any better as, yeah. as we get yeah. to it to divisiveness. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and, you know, one of the things in, in, even in there, I said, you know, as a Christian camp, I'd like to say that, you know, within the church, within Christianity, it's less divisive. No, it's probably more so or at least the yeah. equally divisive. And then just the fear of the, the outdoors and the natural world. And so we, like those were three themes that we really heard over and over from folks. And yeah. so that's kind of how we started to to develop uh, this. Cool. A lot of conversations where we're choosing we're not we'll use the term mental health a lot yeah but we're also saying mental well-being a lot you know, uh, to make sure that people know that we're not pretending to be you right we're not pretending yeah to yep. be, uh, your doctor or anybody right. else but we do have a unique i think capacity to help in some mm -hmm. parts of mental well-being yeah um, as opposed to being like hey just come to camp and stop taking your meds or right. whatever like, yep. right right yep. uh, right and honestly that's I use more of the well-being language as well, because I think that when we talk about mental health, people automatically create this really narrow notion of like, who needs support? And it starts pulling in all of these myths and all of that kind of stuff. And so most of the time I talk about well-being hmm. because it's like that broadens what we're doing, right? There right. doesn't have to be a problem. Mm -hmm. There can just be opportunities right. for people to continue growing and developing and all that kind of stuff. Well, I think too, when we tie in the you know, physical, mental, and spiritual, you know, a couple of things, one, it goes to the old YMCA, you know, spirit, mind, and body, uh, yeah. you know, triangle. Yeah. That was the, uh, uh, the mantra, or even the logo of, of the Y, but also, you know, how closely they're tied together in yeah. a lot of ways, right? Of, yeah. you, know, you look at, you know, from, from a very, uh, you know, less educated side of things like mental health and physical health play into each other a, a whole sure. lot and one affects the other and the other affects that one and yeah. um and you know and i think in, in spiritual health too of you know frankly often you know branching the divisiveness like 
church attendance is lower than it's ever been in yep. in history and people who you know form you know the church used to be a place that people would form those social connections as well and form that community and that's pretty, yep. you know now people are all doing online church and things like that and yeah. that plays into the loneliness epidemic that the right. surgeon general is talking about so much yep. and so i think it's just all so connected to each other and then yeah. quite frankly even environmental pieces of like being in nature yep. does something different for for people for right? sure right and there's there's good evidence about that right. too right that like we actually need, first of all, that kind of like holistic notion mm -hmm. of well-being. And if we don't, if we don't think about opportunities for people to feel hopeful, and that's something like the loneliness epidemic. There's been all this really, like, frankly, like really heartbreaking research about how hopeless youth feel, mm -hmm. which is so it makes me so sad, right? right? But it's like, if you it should only be like, us who have to pay bills who are hopeless, right? <laughs> I know. Those of us who feel like we don't have enough time, right. right? But it's like, that is such a huge piece of it. Like, we have to figure out how to help people feel hopeful. Because then, like, if people don't feel hopeful, then they're not going to do things like reach out and try and connect with mm -hmm. other people, mm -hmm. right? They're not going to prioritize their well-being and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. Cheers. Yeah, cheers. cheers. Coming over to you, That's right. Sam. So I think maybe just starting out and maybe tell us a little bit about your history, background, areas of expertise, uh, all of that. That's a big, uh, like your that's resume, a, right? Yeah, that's a big one. So I'm currently an associate professor at Purdue in the counseling psychology program. So I'm a faculty member. Um, I'm also a licensed psychologist. And when I used to do clinical work, which is a while ago at this point. When I used to do primarily clinical work, I specialized in youth and adolescent mental health treatment and also assessment. So the little kids and the sort of angsty teenagers were my favorite <laughs> kids to work with. Um, as a faculty member, I spend most of my time training future psychologists, but then also doing research. And I'm particularly interested in youth well-being, broadly speaking, and thinking about how what I call informal educational spaces. So that's things like after school programs and summer camps, how those spaces can support youth well-being. What got you kind of uh, I guess interested in that? You know, obviously it's a, there's a wide range of areas you could special. What got yeah. you interested in that one especially? So I think part of it was a little bit of frustration, honestly, that there's so much attention on formal educational systems. And that that's great and well-deserved, but it's also a little bit of a consequence of the fact that in this country in particular, almost all conversations about youth well-being, they talk about families, but everything else is about schools. Hmm. And so there's a real sort of overburdening of school systems to support youth well-being in a way that's it's not it's not manageable, right? We, we can't have any single entity be responsible for the academic, social, emotional, health, physical, right? Development right. of kids. It's just not, it's, it's not feasible. And I think what results in that is a formal education system that doesn't have the flexibility to be able to be responsive to youth needs. Mm -hmm. 
So that frustration led me to really think about what are the other points of contact, right? There's a ton of people doing work about schools. There's a lot of people doing amazing, like beautiful work about families, mm -hmm. but there wasn't much as much, I should mm -hmm. say. I mean, there's beautiful work done about informal educational spaces, but not quite as much mm -hmm. of that sort of domain of the youth development mm -hmm. ecosystem. And yet there's beautiful work being done there by practitioners and just, it was almost like it wasn't being talked about, mm -hmm. especially in the scholarly community, like as, as if that wasn't this really crucial source yeah. of youth support. And that seemed wrong to me. Yeah. Right. It reminds me of like when, you know, it's, it's changed a lot since then, but I think when Starbucks was started, their idea was we're going to become the third place, right? There's, yeah. there's yeah. home, work and Starbucks of where, <laughs> uh, you know, where people connect and, and socialize and, yeah. and things like that. And, you know, this is kind of the, the third place for, for kids, right? There's like yeah. home, there's school, and then there's these out of school time. There's these, you know, extracurricular right. type of, of things that, are all important and all play into it. And yeah. it also reminds me that like, I think we discovered in 2020 how much we relied on the school system to be everything for everyone, right? Yes. I mean, it's childcare, it's education, it's nutrition, yes. it's, you know, health and well-being of, of people. It's like that, you know, you know, it's, it's the jack of all, uh, all trades, right? Like yeah. we can't expect schools to be able to fix all of this. No. And, right. um, and like you said, camp and before and after care and all of these places yep. play such a crucial role because otherwise we can't and you know to the to the first uh, one of parents aren't experts in this uh, either right no, you know no. I, I talked with a parent who said we don't know what we're doing yeah, <laughs> right yeah. parents don't know what they're doing with this any more than, than anybody totally else <laughs> resonate with that myself right, right. as a parent <laughs> yep. yeah and i think also there's this other piece that's like when we actually look a at how youth spend their time, school is actually a pretty small part. Like even during the school year, mm -hmm. it's less than 20%, mm -hmm. less than 20% of their hours in a given week are in schools. Mm -hmm. And so there's this, you know, there's sleeping time, right? Hopefully kids are getting lots of sleep, but right. there's a whole bunch of other time. Mm -hmm. And there needs to be attention to how we can harness that, that time, mm -hmm. that space in order to support youth well-being. Well, and you know, I think in schools, there are certain kids who school is a very comfortable, natural place for them. Yes. Where they're going to get some of that support because they're, you know, their defenses aren't up already yep. as they go into school. And then there's another, you know, segment of kids who their defenses are already up coming into school and school is not does not feel like a safe, does not feel like a happy, does not feel like a a welcoming space for yeah. for them, um, even in the best of circumstances. Right, right. And I will say, so most of my work is thinking about the well-being of youth who are typically kind of underserved or mm -hmm. misserved mm -hmm. by dominant cultural systems. So we're talking about youth of color, youth who come from low-income backgrounds, mm -hmm. right? Um, and you're totally right, Joel. Like there, there are for a lot of kids times when formal education settings are just not a place where they feel affirmed and welcomed and seen. Mm -hmm. And what's beautiful about these informal learning spaces is that because they sometimes they sort of grow up 
out of community needs, mm-hmm. right? They can be more culturally affirming mm-hmm. to students. And because there's, they're not so rigid or they don't have to be so rigid, there are ways that youth can sort of recognize their potential mm-hmm. that maybe isn't what is reinforced in formal school settings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you have a bit of, of camp history. You're not Tecumseh history necessarily. Mm-hmm. We'll get into that. But camp uh, history yourself. What's, uh, remind me of what, what all you did uh, as a camper counselor, all of that. Yeah, well, so I grew up sort of going to different kinds of camps. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom was a music education teacher uh, before she was a kindergarten teacher. So she had a music background. So my family was quite musical. So I ended up going uh, – I. I went to a bunch of music camps when I was growing up and those were spaces where, I don't know, I went to a really funky school. So like my formal education experience was actually beautiful and wonderful and very affirming and lovely, right? Like it was great. But these other camp environments, it just, it did what I think, frankly, sort of the outdoors does for a lot of people, which is it takes you out of your comfort zone Mm -hmm. and out of your routine and puts you in a place where you get to experiment in different ways. And therefore also that you get to like realize things about yourself that you hadn't previously realized. And so my camp experiences were really about being quite anxious about being in these new experiences and, and spaces and figuring out that I could, could be there. I could Mm -hmm. be happy, happy there. I could be successful there, all those things. So I did that for a number of years um, and then I, when I was a, I, which, yeah. uh, which music camps did you go to? Do you remember? I went to, so I grew up in Michigan. Mm-hmm. So I went to blue Lake. I was wondering about that. Cause yeah. I went, I don't know if we've ever made this connection. So I was born at, and you know, for the first couple of years lived at camp Pendaluan, which is on big blue Lake, oh. right, like 10 minutes down the road from blue Lake fine yeah. arts uh, camp. So we are probably not, uh, not too far from no. each other at, at certain points. Yeah. I had like this beautiful experience at Blue Lake. I went to Interlochen for a year mm-hmm. as well, but um, Blue Lake, That's that right. is the famous one. <laughs> yeah. Bl- Blue Lake felt like the more accessible one mm-hmm. sort of. And um, they had this, they had a international band that you could try out for. Um, and I played the saxophone. I tried out for it. And so the summer between my ninth grade year and my 10th grade year, like went to Europe playing the saxophone with this band. I mean, it was incredible, right? I mean, that was the, uh, I didn't grow up in a family that did a lot of international travels. Mm -hmm. That was actually my first time going to Europe and it was like huge opportunity and it was all like through the summer camp. That's awesome. Kind of phenomenon. Um, And then I had one very well intended, but never to be repeated stint as a summer camp director because it was so hard. Um, But when I lived in Maryland, I was a faculty member at this really small college called Washington College. Um, And I started along with some community community member colleagues, we started this college access program for middle schoolers. And for one summer we did two weeks, it was only two, two weeks of summer programming. And at that point I was like, oh, this is amazing, but very, very hard. <laughs> and I don't think that that's what I want to do. But it, it was incredible because mm-hmm. it was the, it was like, again, creating opportunities mm-hmm. for youth who otherwise wouldn't have had any summer programming because it was free, mm-hmm. right? 
um, and making that accessible and letting them have new kinds of experiences, which is pretty awesome. Very cool. Yeah. Good. So then, you know, fast forwarding it a little bit to, I think it was, I want to say it was 2018 or yeah. something like that, where, yep. um, yeah, I think one of our staff basically kind of went through a, just a big list of different uh, professors at, <laughs> uh, at Purdue. And, uh, you know, cause we had, we'd started to say, I think we need some help. And yeah. I think like, we can't just do this and I'll talk about what this is, uh, like, but we can't just do this on, on our own. We need some, some help yeah. here. And, uh, you were one of the first people we called and, uh, and like just, you lit up. Yes, I'd love to, <laughs> to talk about that. So I don't know how much of that to that first conversation you, you remember or whatnot, but so, sure. Cause I actually don't know this. So there wasn't, you didn't know that there was a bat, like that, that Dr. Jason had camp. No, no. no. There was just a list of, of names. So well, I think it was Brittany. Brittany, who yeah. you know had uh, you know made some different connections with with different folks. Yep. And I don't know if you had, a, had interacted well, so much she, with Brittany before. I had never met Brittany. I had actually not really even heard of Tecumseh mm -hmm. because I had just recently moved right. here. And so Brittany had contacted basically the administrative assistant mm -hmm. of our program. And mm -hmm. I think that she was sort of calling like, yep. oh, there's the clinical psychology program, there's yep. counseling. So I'm just going to reach out to them. So our administrative assistant sent a, an email to the faculty and said, hey, we got this call from someone at, from YMCA Camp Tecumseh. You know they're they're looking for some support and da 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 da. da. Is, is anybody interested? And that's why I was like, yes, yes, I am, right? And so I remember having a preliminary conversation with Brittany over the phone, mm -hmm. and she had mentioned that she um, had a meeting set up with someone. I think it was in the clinical psychology mm -hmm. program. <clears throat> I was like, great, that's fantastic. See what they have to say. If you want to talk more. Let me know. And she followed up with me a little while later because we had got we had sort of geeked out about certain things in yep. that phone call. And uh, and so she reached back out and then I met with you and Matt mm -hmm. and it was great. Yeah. And I think I remember. So I think we met with the, the folks from the clinical psychology and they're like, yeah, we, we could probably uh, figure something out. And it was a little bit more tentative. And then we met with you and it was like excitement <laughs> and, and energy behind it. It's like. <laughs> That's our kind of uh, yeah. person. That's a camp person if I ever right. ever met one. Well, I think also, so I do a lot of partnership work mm -hmm. because it doesn't, the whole idea of like academics sitting in an ivory tower mm -hmm. <clears throat> and just thinking about things and right? right and not actually talking to the humans who are doing the work. This makes no sense mm -hmm. to me. So I love doing partnerships mm -hmm. and I have a, a long history of doing partnerships. And so when it was like, here's a group that it was so clear in those initial conversations that you all were like, we've tried to figure this out on our own. We know that we need to figure out a way to provide more support for our counselors. Mm -hmm. Like the, I don't know, just the, the attitude that you are all going into it with. It's like, these are people who I want to work with. Right. Mm -hmm. And they're not saying like, there's a set way that we want to do this. They were like, there's this need and we're trying to figure out, mm -hmm. can you, can you help us? Mm -hmm. And not, can you fix it? But like, can we together try and sort some stuff out? And that was, just, there was no way I was going to say no to that. Yeah. That was just awesome. I think one of the <clears throat> phrases I, I use when talking with people about it is like, I wouldn't look at a kid with a broken leg and say, you know what? 
let me Google that. And I, I, we yeah. could probably figure that out on, on our right. own. Um, and so why do we try to do the same thing with, with mental health and right. well-being of like, you know, I think as, as nonprofits and as, you know, camp people were really, you know, were more apt to say, let me see if I can figure that out too, what to do it and not bring in the experts. And this yeah. was one of those times, like we had tried some things with varying success, but we were trying to do it as, as lay people, as people who like have no background. They're like, why are we doing that when we have experts here who they have devoted yeah. their life to, to this study? Right. And they could be really helpful to, to yeah. us. And, and so I think that's how kind of that, that idea got started. Like, why are we trying to do this ourselves? Like, yeah. That is not our expertise. We know our expertise and we should, you know, yeah. I don't want to say stay in your lane, but we need to stay in our lane a little bit and bring in the experts to say, let's come alongside you to, to yeah. figure this out. But I think, so this, that's one thing that like, but that was a brave move. I think that mm -hmm. was the way I always interpreted it. Like that, that was a brave move for you all to say like, okay, here's a need. We've tried it. We need help. Mm -hmm. And it's a move that I don't think a lot of organizations make. So like what, what was, what allowed you to do that? Yeah. Um, I think it was, you know, a combination of things. I think it was, you know, over the last, you know, again, this was 2018 and, you know, this is pre pandemic of, yeah. you know, and get into to all the, uh, the challenges and, and things that have come up, but it was, we'd increasingly seen more and more cases or instances where, counselors had come to us and just said, I'm hurting right now, or I'm struggling yeah. right now. And, you know, we, we had tried a number of different, uh, different things with, um, you know, different staff who were majoring in, you know, you name it, you know, with psychology majoring in social work and all that to say, okay, maybe they just, you know, go back to the, maybe they just need a pizza party, right? You know, that, that, that <laughs> right. mentality is like, no, it's not just they need a pizza party. It's not just they need, you know, cookies at at night. It's like, yeah, they need something that we can't uh, can't provide. And, uh, you know, I don't know really what it was that said we're not equipped for this. I think, you know, it was a supportive, you know, I was the associate exec at the at the time. It was a supportive CEO and Scott who said, yeah, let's, uh, you know, investigate it. And I think it was just, you know, us coming together as staff and, and kind of looking around the room and saying, this is not going away anytime soon. It, yeah. I think it's one of those, like, if you can see the end in sight, like, all right, this is a short lived thing. Let's buckle down and yeah, kind yeah. of, uh, you know, bear it. But it's like, nope, this isn't going anywhere. Yeah. And, you know, again, fast forward right. a couple of years, <laughs> right. certainly exactly. not, uh, not right. going any, anywhere. Right. This isn't going like the world is changing. If we don't keep up, we're not going to be able to uh, to operate anymore. We're not going to be able to to support our counselors how they need to be supported, and then in turn support our, our campers how they they yeah. need to be supported. Yeah. Um, and so you know it was kind of around a conversation, and I think I had said like, look, we've got Purdue University pretty close to us right here. Maybe there's somebody there who could could provide some insight, and yeah. and that's when Brittany said, "Well, would you be all right if I called around to yeah. a couple of places?" And yep, absolutely. Which I love the cold call as yep. a starting place. Like, <laughs> absolutely. I, and I've done that exact same thing, mm -hmm. right? I was just I have this this other research partner in Detroit, and um, I've been working with them for a decade at this point, mm -hmm. and we like found the original email that I had that's sent, great. which was a completely cold email, right? Yep. Like, seems like you're doing some cool stuff. 
I'm working at this institution. Maybe we could partner together, you know? And I think that that kind of thing, there's like, um, when I think about that, there's like a humbleness, I think, that comes from saying like, there's a need, we need some help. And it's okay. Mm -hmm. It's okay to reach out to other people Mm -hmm. and try and figure things out together. Mm -hmm. Right. And that, but I also think that that's pretty unusual because in doing that, you're sort of saying we don't have all the answers, which is, mm-hmm. I, I think, a hard thing for a lot mm-hmm. of people to say. And, you know, I think, again, looking back at that, uh, that first year. So, you know, again, we, we you know, had conversation in 2018 mm-hmm. and said, we don't know what this is going to uh, to look like. Right. Let's give it a try for, for yeah. 2019. And, um, you know, and so, you know, we, we kind of looked at it, too. Of, I think one of the things, you know, in our initial conversation is like, how do we make this both helpful and beneficial to camp, but also because you're in the, the primary business, like preparing yeah. students to uh, to do that sit down the road of saying, how can we make this something that's going to be beneficial to those, right. those students? So maybe talk a little bit about, uh, you know, what what that original framework looked like and how we got there. Yeah. So there's a so in what we call engaged scholarship. Right. So this is like university community partnerships. Um, there's this idea of mutually beneficial outcomes. Mm-hmm. Right. That being that the intention is always going to be beneficial for both parties, Mm -hmm. maybe not in the same way. Right. But that you go into it thinking about how can we both benefit from this? Mm -hmm. And so when we were designing this and what was so cool is like we were both going in blind. Right. Because what's fascinating is there's there's tons of work about how to support campers. There is not tons of work on how to support counselors. There's Mm -hmm. lots of work about counselor burnout. Mm -hmm. But the idea about like, so what does it look like to try and prevent burnout? What does it look like to support counselors? This is not something that's been studied. And so we were just co-creating from mm-hmm. the ground up, right? And um, I remember we spent a lot of time talking about like, what could the services look like? And my students, and I only work with doctoral students, mm-hmm. so they're training to be psychologists and they need practice, right? They actually are required to accrue a certain number of hours. Mm-hmm. And this seemed like this perfect opportunity for them to get experience doing what I would call therapy adjacent work, right? Mm -hmm. Because we don't do therapy at the camp. It's not set up that way. It's not intended to be that. Mm -hmm. But it is transferring this skill set that all psychologists in training have to a consultation model, Mm -hmm. right? That allows them to then have these sort of in the moment conversations Mm -hmm. to support people. And that just made so much sense, right? Because Mm -hmm. it's beneficial for you all because you're getting trained mental health practitioners, right? People who not only have training, but have experience Mm -hmm. because don't let the newbies do this, right? right? Right. They gotta be students with experience. And my students are getting this quite unique opportunity to actually do this therapy adjacent kind of work, Mm -hmm. which if it was up to me, is what more th- more therapeutic work would look like, right? Mm-hmm. We're bringing the services where the people are. We're trying to make it as accessible as possible. Mm-hmm. That breaks down all kinds of barriers to support mm-hmm. right there. Yeah. You know? it, it's not have to make a, an appointment, go into an office and yeah. you know, the, the stereotypical, you know, sit on the couch right. and you know, lay on the couch right. and, and have somebody do that. It's like, let me walk next to you through the down this path and talk about what's what's going yeah, on. Yeah, what's and, going on? Um, you know, just and I think one of the things that I really appreciated was 
you know, it's giving, it was giving staff an opportunity to talk to somebody who is not their boss, who is not yes. their supervisor, because it, you know, it changes the dynamic. I mean, we could have really well-intentioned staff at, at yeah. camp who are asking, this, you know, quite frankly, maybe even some of the same questions, but they're still their boss. And yeah, there, yeah. there's that different dynamic that's, totally. that's there versus somebody who is a little bit, you know, removed from that. And yep. who can say, you know, this doesn't impact like what, rating you get or what uh you know yes. anything like that it's like i'm just here to to listen to you and to yeah. uh, to you know offer some uh, some thoughts and advice well, and i sorry, uh, some also too as someone who's found who who has a therapist and it, it's very hard to find yeah and yeah it's really it's like really intimidating mm -hmm. you, know where, you don't know where to look mm -hmm. you have a provider list it's like okay i'll call them and, then you and they're probably not in your ins insurance yeah. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. And if they take insurance, which most of, most of them don't. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and I think yeah that those are there are huge barriers to even someone who's well into adulthood. Yes. Right. Who ha is capable of making those decisions. Yep. Yeah. Well, and I think I have so many thoughts right now. Like one thing is that right this is for some of the camp council, and we've heard this pretty much every year. Like people who have never seen a therapist before, mm -hmm. in some ways, never even considered it either because it's sort of not part of their cultural background mm -hmm. or they just haven't felt the need for it. Mm -hmm. But still, then they get to they get to interact with the mental health consultants and they're like, oh, this is oddly helpful. Mm -hmm. Like being validated and being able to express what I'm feeling mm -hmm with someone who right it's not my partner or my parent or someone else who i have to worry about the other dynamics of this relationship mm -hmm. or especially my boss right who can evaluate me but instead it's this sort of neutral third party mm -hmm. who's like our orientation is to support that's all we want to do yep. right so we yep. have this singular aim mm -hmm. to be supportive which i think just by definition, it's going to make those conversations look really different. Yeah. And I remember, you know, so again, as, as part of what you guys did, you know, there was some pre-training that mm -hmm. you did both with our full-time and our, um, our staff, then obviously the consultation uh, services, and then some, you know, surveys and uh, focus groups and that sort of thing. I, yeah. There's one from that first year that I distinctly remember comment. I think it was from a survey that said, I never used the services, but the fact that, you know, those were available made me believe that camp was taking this seriously yes. and that they cared about me. Yes. And like, just that, like to, to me, as I read that, I was like, all right, that was worthwhile know, right there. Yeah. Again, they never used it, but they knew like, right. look, we're not just saying suck it up, buttercup, you know, yes. get to get to work. It's we're here to, to help you. Yep. And we're providing, you know, we're investing in resources and time and all that to make sure that that's yeah. available. No, I remember that too, because that's all, that idea has come up multiple times mm -hmm. because I think there's a lot of instances where you have, if it's employers or friends or whatever, who will, who will say, I really want to be supportive of you, mm -hmm. but then there's no follow-up, mm -hmm. right? And instead it was like, I really want to be supportive of you and here's what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And that I felt like for so many of the camp counselors was this, it transformed how they thought about, mm -hmm. about things. Mm -hmm. Right. And, 
I remember from the first year as well, some of the, the camp counselors had talked about the fact that like, they felt like the expectation was that like, if you can't hold everything together, you're not doing a good mm -hmm. job. Mm -hmm. Right. That there was this sort of like implicit, not that that was ever explicitly stated, but there's like implicit idea that I think a lot of us feel mm -hmm. right. That like, if I can't hold everything together, I'm not doing a good job. Yep. But by virtue of there being services available at the camp, it was like saying, no, no, like it, you don't have to be able to hold everything mm -hmm. together. It's OK. It was like normalizing mm -hmm. the fact that there's going to be stressors and there's going to be frustrations mm -hmm. and that what is really brave and strong and doing a good job is asking for help when you need mm -hmm. it. And if we could do that globally, mm -hmm. <laughs> that would, I feel like that would change so many things for so many people because help seeking, feeling like you can ask for help, that's really hard and it's not normalized in mm -hmm. our culture. Yeah, I remember again from that, so that first year, there was, you know, kind of, and I don't remember the exact word, but something along the lines of, again, it, it, it was never spoken out loud, but the impression that I got from the directors, from everyone else was, keep it together, you can do this, you know, just keep plowing ahead. Yeah. And I couldn't do that anymore. And when I first read it, it was a little bit of a gut punch of like, oh, like, what am I doing or saying that is implying like, don't stop and ask for help, just yeah. suck it up and, and go. And I remember we had a conversation, I think, in your in your office uh, about that as we were kind of debriefing. And you know, to be honest, there's part of me that want to be defensive, like, no, we, you know, we never, uh, we never said that. Yeah. And, and this is what we're doing. But again, I think it is the, I don't want to call it the, the American way or the, you know, the, you know, just push, uh, you know, put your nose down to, to the grindstone yeah. and, and keep going. But I think there's, there's some of that that's just built into, into the culture of yes. like, we don't talk about it. And especially with mental health, like we don't talk about that. They're right. only like, some people go to seek mental health, but that's other people. That's mm -hmm, not, mm -hmm. you know, most of us shouldn't have to, uh, to do that. And right. just that, so that mindset. And it, it was like, it was a painful thing to read mm -hmm. the first time, but I remember sitting and talking with you about it as we were debriefing. It's like, yep. So this is our starting point. This is where we're starting from. Yeah. How do we get better from, from yes. here? Yeah. No, I, th I, the, I think it's important always, like we have to, like camp has its own culture. Mm -hmm. right? Yep, <laughs> absolutely. Camp, <laughs> camp has it all, its own culture, but it's situated in the broader mm -hmm. culture. And I was talking to Meg and Tom about this this year, actually, mm -hmm. like we were talking about what does it mean to have camp counselors who, for those who are domestic, right? So for those who grew up in the US and are attending American universities, right? Like they are constantly in this very individualistic mm -hmm. culture. Mm -hmm. All of the structures, right? The capitalist structures, the achievement-based structures that mm -hmm. we have, like that is all about individualism. Mm -hmm. And so if you're not successful, it's because you have not worked hard mm -hmm. enough, right? And so therefore the flip of that is in order for me to do a good job, I have to do I have to do everything on my own. I have to hold it together. Hmm. And that's, a, I mean, it is a foundational, powerful cultural value in this country mm -hmm. and within higher education as well, which mm -hmm. is right where most of the counselors right. are coming from. So 
I remember, I remember that. And it felt like that, like that came from, it was actually a focus group that we did. And I remember sitting in the room and somebody saying that. And I was like, ah, oh, yeah, but holy moly, that is a huge thing to be able to say out loud, mm-hmm. right? That there is this, this feeling that's, again, it's not stated. It's mm-hmm. nothing that nobody's saying that, mm-hmm. but it like runs through the broader culture. Mm-hmm. And if it hasn't been challenged explicitly like if we haven't said Mm -hmm. you don't need to do everything on your own Mm -hmm. right then that's going to be the presumption and i think one thing that's been interesting is over the years because we do research every year Mm -hmm. right focus group data we get survey data that hasn't come up like up again Mm -hmm. like so that feeling of you have to have all your stuff together Mm -hmm. and if not you're not a successful counselor Mm -hmm. that came up in the first year and it didn't come up since then. Yeah. And I do think that it's very much related to that other quote that you remember, right? About like just having these people here and knowing that like it was camp leadership that brought them here mm-hmm. makes it okay to not be okay. Right. Right. And that's huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, kind of. Yeah, and fast forwarding a little bit. So we did that in, in 2019. And then, mm-hmm. you know, something happened in, in 2020. I know, I don't remember what and, that was, um, right? You know, and I see, you were a huge help in, you know, as, as we, as camp made that decision of, we're not able to safely run summer camp in 2020. And we're yeah. having to cancel it. And, you know, at that point, we had hired, you know, a good number of, of staff. People were planning on it. Um, you know, we had, you know, had thousands of campers who were signed up and excited to, uh, to yeah. come to camp. And we made that decision. And one of the, the calls we made early on was to you and said, hey, can you help us break the news to, uh, yep. to folks? Can you yep. help us? Can you help us help them, you know, whether it's staff or camper families process through this real loss, right? For some of, you know, for the counselors, it was a loss of like their job and what they were expecting for income. For campers, we heard from some campers, like when we made that decision, it was the most painful of all the cancellations that they'd they'd experienced because they were holding on to hope for that one thing. And and so you you had a couple of of thoughts or or words for for counselors uh, and, and for campers during that time. Yeah. I mean, I think this is one of my favorite things about actual partnerships Mm -hmm. is like it starts off as one thing. Mm -hmm. And then because there's a partnership, because there's a relationship, when other stuff happens, you can reach out and say, hey, is there any way? Right. And um, I do think that like that, those messages, first of all, I was so glad that you reached out because I think that that was a time when a lot of us, myself included, were sort of like floundering a bit, right? Like, what mm-hmm. do we, what do we do? And actually, that was a moment when I was like, wait, I, there's some way I can be helpful at this moment. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> it's very affirming. Um, but I think it's all about like, you know, there was lots of questions about like, so how do parents talk to their kids about what's going mm-hmm. on? Um, I'm always someone who's going to say, you know, of course it's important to be developmentally appropriate and we have to be honest with our kids, Mm -hmm. right? Camp didn't get canceled for any reason other than the fact that there was a pandemic Mm -hmm. and we got to keep people safe. Mm -hmm. So we got to say that to our kids, Mm -hmm. right? And we have to like give ourselves space to be sad about that. And then we can give ourselves space to, 
to get over that a little bit. Oh. Yeah. I'm curious, um, you know, this is a tangent, this is a long-winded thing of, of saying, a lot of the things that we're focusing on our strategic plan, we've already been doing well for 99 years yeah. of existence. But the reason it's our new strategic plan is because there's been something going on in society lately that's different. That's just, it's kind of boiling, it almost feels like. Yeah. And and we feel like this, we need to say it out loud that this is what we're focusing on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm curious, like, how, are, how have you, you work with college students, you're working with this age, all the time. Yeah. How are, and of course, PhD candidates, maybe they're a little bit older, but but still, um, how are you seeing that some of, some of these changes in mental health and well-being over the time that you've been at Purdue? Yeah. And, and before that? So I think there's, I mean, there's, I'm eternally optimistic. So there's pros and cons, right? So mm-hmm. like, one great thing is there is, quite frankly, amongst this generation, just a lot more attention to mental health, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. Um, and I say that with a caveat, which is that attention to mental health concerns not coupled with strategies for what to do about it or um, spaces for self-reflection can actually kind of make things worse. Mm-hmm. There's There's actually been some really lovely research coming out about this exact issue that if we're just exposing people to mental health challenges and we're not actually giving them any tangible things to, to do to support themselves that actually that can make symptoms mm-hmm. worse, right? Mm-hmm. Make feelings of isolation um, and hopelessness worse. So it is a good thing that there's more attention to mental health and people are more willing to talk about what they're mm-hmm. going through um, I, th- there is also this simultaneous reality that youth are having more challenges right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has been exacerbated, exacerbated by the pandemic, but it's not because of the pandemic right. because those trends were starting before mm-hmm. then. So I do think there is this idea about there's like sort of this stuff that's been boiling. That mm-hmm. is very much what it feels like to me mm-hmm. too. And it feels to me like, a need for a bit of a reckoning about what we're prioritizing. Mm-hmm. It's almost, you know, coming in from, from my perspective, is you know, very much of a pendulum effect, right? We, we went from a period where you don't talk about mental health yeah. at all. Yeah. It's, you know, it's very much the, you know, the, the idea of it, you know, the stigma. Yeah. And it's, from my perspective, it's swung way over to this side where we talk about it all the time. We kind of call it out but almost to the point of like, we're just talking about it now and nothing yeah. is, is yeah. happening or we're dwelling in, you know, the, the woe is me, woe is us society. It's like, but we're not doing anything with that. Yeah. We're not, you know, we don't have enough you know practitioners who are, are helping. We don't have enough tools in our, our tool belt to, you know, yeah. now we've identified it. That's one thing, but we haven't done anything with that. Is yes. That- yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think that's that's exactly it. That there's so there's there's certain trends that we're seeing, right? So we're seeing lower frustration tolerance, right? Mm-hmm. And so when we talk about frustration tolerance, right? It's that ability is like, what do you do when things don't necessarily go your way when you face a challenge, mm-hmm. right? It's sort of related to, to perseverance or mm-hmm. persistence. 
Right. So we're seeing lower levels of that where mm -hmm. it almost feels as though um, people are giving up mm -hmm. when they face challenges. Mm -hmm. um, and then related to that, definitely increased isolation mm -hmm. and lower hopefulness. Mm -hmm. So I totally agree with what you're saying. Like there it's amazing that we're paying more attention to this and how do we make sure that youth have the skills and the support mm -hmm. to be able to simultaneously know that they are facing challenges if they are mm -hmm. and figure out how to cope with it. Mm -hmm. And that figuring out how to cope with it is essential, right? We mm -hmm. have to be able to work through challenges regardless of mental health mm -hmm. concerns, right? We have to be able to work through those challenges mm -hmm. because we're going to face them. And so what it means to grow students adaptability and their resilience, which is a term that I don't totally like, but like building that adaptability mm -hmm. is teaching people how to figure out how to work through challenges mm -hmm. and I do think that that is something that feels like it has was really exacerbated mm -hmm. by the by the pandemic mm -hmm. because there was a time when there was just so much that was going on that there was a lot of instances when we were saying to youth like it's okay yep. right just just step back from yep. that right and so I think we're seeing a little bit of the consequences of that which is people who haven't necessarily had an opportunity to practice persisting mm -hmm. and that's really hard like mm -hmm. we got to figure out how do we create opportunities for people to learn yeah. that and i think that for me leads really well into like where camp and other you know what'd you call it uh informal learning opportunities but you yeah. know where camp can step into that and say look this is in so many ways a really safe productive place to work on you know, adaptability when yes. it's, you know, raining or you don't get the activity that you were hoping to do or you're not with the, the cabin mate that you want to do. Like, yep. don't just say, well, camp is ruined. I'm never, uh, you know, I'm, I'm leaving. It's right. how do we adapt to, to that? And, yes. um, you know, I think that camp is a place where, you know, I have to say in this with, you know, mental health and, and also with, um, with divisiveness, it's really easy out in the rest of the world. If you and I don't agree on, on something on social media, I can block you and be done with you right. and, and never have to do it. If something is, uh, is, you know, if an activity is, is really hard, I can, you know, block at camp. If we're in a, in a cabin together and I don't agree with you, guess what? Tonight we're still in a cabin together yeah, and yeah, we're right. still sitting next to each other around right. a, a table and we're going to have to figure out how to yeah. how to work through that. And, you know, I'm going to have to, you know, I, I'm not going to be successful on the rock wall the first time. I'm going to have to, you know, persist yes. at it. And, you know, for me, it's those little things that kids learn of like, I I failed at that to start with, but then I tried it again and yes. we went back to that place again and, uh, and, yep. you know, reattempted and, you know, it's building, you know, it's building a muscle, right? Yep. It's, it's building that muscle. Oh, I don't have to be successful the first time at something. It doesn't have to come easy for me to keep going. Right. It can be, it can be difficult. And right. that's where I see camp stepping into, into that place. For, for sure. I mean, so I spent a little bit of time doing adventure therapy, right? Mm -hmm. Which is, um, wonderful and magical and adventure therapy is exactly that, right? That you are placed often in this completely new circumstance, but with 
a group of individuals and you have to figure it out, mm -hmm. right? You're depending on one another and this is what camp does. Mm -hmm. And what I also think is exactly what youth need is exactly that, right? Is like being forced to not avoid, mm -hmm. right? So one of the things that we know about anxiety, the establishment of phobias, right? Is that that is often the result of avoiding things, mm -hmm. right? Because if we avoid things, we don't ever give ourselves a chance to learn that we can do it, mm -hmm. to learn that it's not scary, to learn that we can survive mm -hmm. it, right? And so that what you just talked about, right? The idea about like camp, like you're with those same people, right? Mm -hmm. Or you're doing those similar activities mm -hmm. and you actually have that opportunity and it's low risk, mm -hmm. right? Like whatever it might be, mm -hmm. it's a safe place to try that out. Mm -hmm. And what we know based on research from informal learning environments is that what you learn in those environments generalizes. Mm -hmm. And imagine what's gonna happen if you have a bunch of kids who have an opportunity to learn that they can fail and survive and try again and get better. Mm -hmm. And they carry that with them throughout their whole lives. Oh. Like that's okay. Or you can disagree with someone. Mm -hmm. And you could work through it, mm -hmm. right? That the initial disagreement isn't the end. It's part of the process of getting to know people. Mm -hmm. I mean, that transforms relationships. Yeah. Well, and I think with that of, you know, we talked earlier about counselors very much operate in that individualistic uh, mindset versus the collective. I think the yeah. same is true for, for our campers who... You know, their schedule isn't just tailored to what they as an individual want mm -hmm. to to do. And so they're going to be exposed to things and they're going to be participating in things like that wouldn't have been there for, you know, they might not have chosen to go on a sleep out that night. But right. other members of the cabin wanted to to do that or yeah. were excited about that. And so they're trying something new. And, you know, it, it brings them away from just I'm only going to do the things that I want to do and that I'm comfortable yes. doing. Right. right. And right. I'm only going to choose the things that, well, as a collective, we're going to do this. Yeah. And you've got the support. You've got, you know, somebody who <clears> you've <throat> established a relationship with and your counselor or something like that who's going to be there. So it's not, you know, because I think it'd be different. It's like, yep, you all are going to go do that. Good luck out there. Yeah. Right. And we're not just pushing them out there saying, I hope you survive right. uh, this. But we're putting them with, uh, with you know, counselors and with, uh, with fellow campers who are like, no, we're going to do this together. Right. So you feel safe. And I think being able to realize like, no, that wasn't my favorite thing. Maybe I'd never choose to do that again, but I did it. But I did it. But I did it and I came out doing uh, all right afterwards. And yeah. I think there's some of that that you know, I, I talk with uh, with staff a lot about, you know, as you as you look at each of your, your campers in your cabin, you have to recognize that every one of them needs something different from their week of camp, right? right? And for some of them, the only thing they need from their week of camp is to be able to say, I did it mm -hmm. right. Like they don't need to have, you know, climbed to the top of the climbing tower right. or gotten a blue band or, or whatever. Like they need to be able to say, I didn't think I could get through a week away from home without yes. my parents, but I did it. Right. And I think that builds that, uh, that resiliency, that elasticity yes. to, to folks of like, again, that maybe I, had, I never want to do whatever it is again, but I did it. Right. And, and so what that means 
is, and this is, so some of my research focuses on self-efficacy, right? Mm -hmm. Just belief that with effort, I can be successful. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what you're talking about, Joel, right? Is learning that even if I'm uncomfortable, right? That I have within me the capacity to successfully navigate this situation. Mm -hmm. And self-efficacy is associated with all kinds of amazing long-term outcomes. Mm -hmm. Because if I buy that idea, right, that I can try it, I can put forth effort, I can be successful, then all of a sudden I can do all kinds of things Mm -hmm. that I haven't necessarily already experienced success with. Mm -hmm. But since I think that I can be successful, Mm -hmm. well, then there's unlimited opportunities. Mm -hmm. And if I fail, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, that's huge. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, I think, you know, again, talking about your early uh, camp experience, like going out into the world. I think one of the other things I, I, I like about that kind of the collective effort is I might just make it. And I might also discover something that I love that I didn't think I'd, I'd right. ever love or you know, I might be told that I'm creative when nobody has ever told me I'm creative. And so maybe I want to do art for, for something. And I think yes. that's, you know, for me, it's, it's about exposing kids and quite frankly, staff as well to, to things it's like, we're not going to ask you to just do things that you're already comfortable with, both because we want you to develop self-efficacy, efficacy, mm-hmm. but also because maybe you're going to discover something that you love and are passionate about and are right. really good at. Right. Um, not always, but sometimes you're going to to do yeah. that. And I think, you know, that's the, the power. And I think, again, going back to school can't be everything for everyone because it is, you know, especially as you get into to college and even before that, it's like, all right, now you've got your lane that you stay, you know, you're yep. majoring in X. And so you're just doing that and yes. you're not venturing off. To, and, and I'll admit as a you know, liberal arts, uh, you know, college uh, <laughs> attendee, you know, the idea was we're going to expose you to a lot of different things, right. which I think, you know, there's some good and bad to, to that. Right. But I think when kids look at kids who are already at 12 years old, they're specializing in a sport. Right. They're yep. like they're playing soccer every weekend for their entire, uh, you know, life. Yeah. And they're never going to art class or something like that. And right. I talk so much with kids and, and with parents about like if you're playing soccer at home, don't play soccer at, at Camp Tecumseh. Yeah. Like do something right. different. Right? right. Because we're not going to make you an all star soccer player, but we might introduce you to pottery and yeah. maybe you like you like right. pottery and you you never knew that before yep um, well and i have to say so this is one of the things that i particularly love about camp. like there you know there's a lot of camps and there are some camps that are specialized right like i did music camp. i did a bunch of sports camps but i did music mm-hmm. camp right and the thing about that is that that was an interest that i already held mm-hmm. um this is a bit of a tangent but i I do this other work with an organization that's a boxing gym. It's a youth development program. It's a boxing gym. And they have a STEM lab. So science, technology, engineering, mathematics embedded in the lab, in the gym. Mm-hmm. Weird, right? But it's brilliant because when we think about most out-of-school time programming that's STEM-related, it's like robotics club or you're going to go and it's science team or mm-hmm. whatever it is, right? And that's great for kids who already have an interest in that or have already had an opportunity to build up their efficacy where they're mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, I, that's cool. I want to go do that. 
But there's a whole bunch of kids who haven't had that opportunity to build the interest or efficacy. So what's happening in, in the gym is like you have a bunch of kids who were, who were interested in joining a boxing gym. Mm-hmm. And because there's this embedded STEM opportunity, kids who didn't know that they were interested in that, kids who didn't know that they could be successful in that domain are getting that opportunity. Mm-hmm. And camp is the same way, right? Because they by definition, have to do tons of different stuff. Absolutely. Right? And so it's like, there's this fancy term in the learning sciences called contextual affordances, right? So camp creates contextual affordances for kids to develop new interests, Mm -hmm. new areas of strength. Mm -hmm. And and that is something that's really quite rare. Mm Right. Because you often sort of like you said, you get in your lane and you kind of stick in your lane Mm -hmm. and camp does something different than that. So I guess one of the the areas I would ask you about and particularly because of both your focus within your focus on, you know, you know, um, informal learning, particularly for vulnerable populations, you know, as, as we look at our strategic plan and one of the core tenets of that is how do we reduce the barriers for, for more kids and more individuals to, to attend camp, I guess, you know, t- over the course of history, overnight camp has been a pretty homogenous uh, group at, yeah. uh, at there, you know, and I think there's more and more efforts to, to bring all people and all, uh, you know, kids and, and adults from all different backgrounds to the camp. And so I guess, you know, what do you see as what have been some of the barriers from your perspective for, for that happening? And how do you see, hopefully that tide changing or what can we do to help to change that to that tide? Yeah. So <clears throat> there are a whole variety of barriers mm-hmm. to um, youth of color and youth from economically marginalized backgrounds taking part in out of school time programming, mm-hmm. including summer camps. Um, one big thing is about cost, mm-hmm. right? Another thing is about accessibility. So how do we get there? That's mm-hmm. more of an issue for after school programs. Sure. Like how do I literally get my kid from school to this program mm-hmm. and back home? Like mm-hmm. that is a whole maneuver. And if you have parents who are working multiple jobs or have less control over their work hours, Mm -hmm. that becomes a really big barrier. Absolutely. Right. So there's cost, there's transportation and accessibility, but then there's this other piece, which is about whether or not the environment seems safe. Mm -hmm. And, and that is both about like actual physical safety and also about psychological safety. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Black parents, in particular want to send their kids to after school programs at rates that far exceed other racial groups, right? Seeing those as like these amazing spaces for enrichment and all those Mm -hmm. kinds of things. And yet finding programs that they feel their students will be safe in psychologically safe, culturally affirmed, Mm -hmm. loved, seen, respected, is a really big barrier. Mm-hmm. So I do think that that's one part of this, right? Mm-hmm. What does the camp do to make sure that it is ready to accept a really diverse array of students so that it's not only not only 
sort of feasible financially, mm-hmm. right? And there's ways for kids to get there, but so that it feels like a space where parents are going to be like, yes, mm-hmm. I think this is going to be a great experience mm-hmm. for my kid. And I have the sense that they're going to be affirmed. Mm-hmm. Right? That's a huge part. There is another piece that actually you and I haven't ever talked about was it is that there's a long history in this country of outdoor spaces not feeling safe and acceptable to people of color. Mm-hmm. Right. So there I can't think of the scholar. If my husband would hear, he would know who it is. But there's a scholar who's done a ton of work about how black Americans function in outdoor spaces and the fact that those spaces don't feel safe. Mm-hmm. And that work was there, this particular book I'm thinking about is thinking about black Americans. Mm-hmm. But this is the case for for most people of color. Mm-hmm. Right. Outdoor spaces were white spaces, mm-hmm. are white spaces, mm-hmm. right? And may not feel safe to everyone. So the idea of sending my kid away from me and also to the out of doors, sure. right? Is like, first of all, I mean, that's like transformative because then if the kid has a chance to spend time out in nature, then they'll be able to take ownership over that space and know that they can be there. Mm-hmm. That's huge. But then there's this other piece about like, like we got to make sure that the parents are feeling like that is actually mm-hmm. okay. That that safe is that space is going to yeah. be safe, right? Yeah. You just hope and put in like, what can we do to make that so that every kid can say they've had that transformative experience and yeah. and that you know it is and that you know they're going to the right camp and I'll be the first to say like, not just on that but just in general like. I want every kid to have a great camp experience, right? Yeah. Hopefully that's at Camp Tecumseh. Yeah. But if it's not, I want it to be somewhere else. And so yes. how do we make sure that every camp is is like that or that we're helping people find the right uh, the right fit for what they're they're right. looking for. You know, if they if they want more of a uh, this is what I talk about, you know, if they want a tennis camp, don't come to Camp Tecumseh, yeah, go yeah. somewhere else, right? Right. You know, if they want a, a more of a traditional outdoor camp, come to or come to us. And yeah. you know, I, I was reminded I had a colleague who who talked about, you know, they kind of were going through this uh, a year or so ago of looking at like how do we make our camp as safe, you know, as we can for for people of uh, of color and, yeah. and, and black kids in particular, and so they they asked them, they, they asked yeah. you know people who came like, so what's uh you know what would make you feel safe or less safe? And they had one camper or maybe it was a staff member who said, I want you to know when I go into the trading post and I look at the shampoo that you have available for mm-hmm. sale, I can't use any of it. Yeah for my hair and it, you know it was part of that that you know got us thinking of what's one of the first things we ask kids to do when they show up at camp is we do you know a head check on them and then they go down to the pool and do a, a swim check where they have to go underwater and yep. you, know, you have some kids who are coming who you know that's not you know it, it takes hours for them to, uh, to get their hair ready to go and now yep. all of a sudden we're asking them to undo that and then go jump in the in the water yeah. like that's not a safe place for them to, right. to be. And and so I think it's it's thinking through like, how do we look at every aspect? You know, physical safety is absolutely fine. You know, we want everybody to, you know, not be injured while they're at camp and, right. and to be okay. But it's like, like, how do we make sure that it's evident that we designed and changed and altered and created a program that with them in mind and yes. them being everyone right right? so whether they're white or black whether they're coming from you know high income or low income that they show up like oh they thought of me yes when they when they designed that like that's my hope and dream is like 
every kid, regardless of their program, steps in. It's like they were thinking of me when they when yeah, they designed. Right. That. I do think that that like that idea of being sort of invisible or feeling like you're invisible, like that's a really big part, mm -hmm. right? Like like what you're striving for is for people regardless of their backgrounds to be able to feel a sense of belonging in mm -hmm. that space. Mm -hmm. And although we talk about like individuals feeling a sense of belonging, it is the space that causes people to mm -hmm. feel like they belong. And so yep. I do think that's exactly it. Like you can't guarantee that everybody's going to have a great experience. Right. And sometimes the not great experiences are exactly the learning that needs to happen. Right. right? But what we want to do is like, as much as possible, create a context so that both the campers and the staff are like, this is a space where I am welcomed, where I am seen, mm -hmm. right? Where I can stretch myself in mm -hmm. ways that I don't always feel comfortable mm -hmm. stretching mm -hmm. myself. Yeah. Right. Good. 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 So. Perfect. Awesome. 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 Thank, Thank you. you